we are starting what we believe is one of our most biblical teaching series that we offer at Orchard. Why do we say that? Why do we say this is one of the most biblical teaching series that we offer? Here's the reason. The Bible is full of real-life stories of real-life people who encounter and follow Jesus and experience changed lives. And in the early church, when people met in each other's homes, one of the things they did all the time was to have a person simply stand up and share their experience of encountering the risen Jesus and talking about how he had changed their life. That's why we do the same thing here every year. We want to be a church that helps each other take off our happy church-going masks where we tell each other everything's fine when really we're struggling. We want to be a place where we can all be honest about what's going on in our lives. And we believe that real live people who sit right out there with all of us um, part of their sharing their stories is part of blessing a broken world because it blesses both the person who shares their story and it blesses those of us who hear it and receive and honor the work of God in that storyteller's lives. And it encourages us, I know this story will, to look for God's work in our lives every day. And so in just a minute, um, my friend Patty Skiles is going to come up and share her story of profound transformation. Uh, Patty has been coming to Orchard. She's been an active member here for over 30 years. She's married to Jeff. In her day job, she's a physical ther therapist. In her soul job, she's an artist. And um, Patty has been a Christian for a long time. But in the last couple years, her eyes have been opened to uh, a profound invitation from God to her. And I believe it's an invitation that he's making to many, many, many of us sitting here this morning. So I pray you'll listen really carefully to her story, Patty. Come on up, and uh, I'm just going to get off the stage and let Patty do what Patty does. <laughs> All right. Okay, then. You got this? Here, Mostly. This is for your water. Thank you. So they say when you're nervous, you should picture everybody in their underwear. And I determined from the first one that that doesn't really work because seeing people in their underwear is scary. So I took the journey class back in 2008 when it was still called Emerging Leaders. I didn't really want to take that class because I knew I would have to examine my past and I didn't want to do that. I mean, the past is in the past and that's where it should stay, right? What good would it do to dredge up all that stuff? But the more I tried to avoid it, the more God kept nudging me and calling me. And so I finally caved in. And it was a confusing, frustrating process that was not easy or fun for me. To look into my past and try to see where God was at work in my life, honestly, I wasn't convinced that he truly was. And not because he's not a good God, but because I didn't deserve it. Now it's 10 years later and I look back and I realize that I've been fighting one fight my whole Christian life to feel and really believe and accept that God could love me. And that's been the stumbling block for me for 35 years. 
I believed that he could love everyone else, but he couldn't love me. However, in the past 12 months or so, that has all been changing. Uh, I've experienced some incredible shifts in my thinking. So I was asked to tell my story so maybe it could bring hope to someone else. Because to tell my story is to tell God's story. One of my life verses has been Romans 12:2. Do not conform any longer to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformation by the renewing of your mind. How does that even happen? How does one's mind become new? I've desired transformation for a very long time, and it may be why I became a Christian. But that transformation had to start with the renewing of my mind, and that takes a long time. And in my case, it took 35 years. I guess I'm just a slow learner. So to start at the beginning, I was born the youngest of eight into a Catholic family in a small farming community. And I'm the little one in the middle. And then there's me with a cookie. And that's a cookie. My husband is convinced it's a cow pie, but it's a cookie. So I was brought up by a very strict, iron-fisted father who was quick to condemn. But he also taught me some good things. Be independent, work hard, stand on your own two feet. It was understood that when you graduated from high school, you get out and you stand on your own two feet. I suppose that's why we got luggage for our high school graduation gift. <laughs> my dad was very family-oriented. We spent many days with my very extensive family of aunts, uncles, and cousins. It was instilled in us that the importance of family. He was also very church-oriented, and we went to church religiously. In fact, during Lent, we would go Monday, Wednesday, and Friday in addition to Sunday, and every night we were on our knees praying the rosary. And my dad was very strict when it came to church, right down to what we wore. And he used to say to me, if you can't dress up for the Lord, who are you going to dress up for? And he'd do it with that same fro line. But I never saw a Bible. It was all about the doing and appearances. You earn your way in the world, and you earn your way into heaven. This was my worldview, and I had no idea how much it would cripple me in my spiritual journey. You earn your way in the world, and you earn your way into heaven. By the time I got to high school, I was your basic moody, sullen, neurotic teenager with a bad attitude. Kind of on the fringe, but I had friends. You'd never know from that picture, though. <laughs> I thought those glasses were really cool. And that puffy red shirt? Not good. There was a lot of partying and whatnot that went on in my high school. But there was also this youth group that established itself in my hometown. It was called Youth for Christ Campus Life, of which Dave Bartlett was the leader. And he and his wife Linda would come to be what I call my spiritual parents because it was through their ever-present influence that I actually became a Christian. Well, let's just say I gave everything I knew of myself to everything I knew of God, and that wasn't a whole lot in either case. But I made some kind of a commitment to Christ as a high school junior, the community of campus life, which, by the way, also included Pat and Diane Ehler, who were also on staff, this group was a lifeline to me. When I finally did graduate from high school, I was the first in my family to go from high school to college, in spite of the fact that my dad tried to bribe me. He said he would, he'd buy me a car if I'd join the Army. 
Well, it was through the good grace of a particularly amazing teacher and one of my very dear sisters that convinced me college was for me, and that's where I went. And when I came to UNI, it just so happened that Dave and Linda moved back to Cedar Falls and to Orchard Hill, and I've been attending here for 33 years. And then Pat and Diane showed up, and it was a campus life party. I mean, con coincidence? I don't know. I came in, so that's my journey to here. And I came into adulthood with a terrible self-worth and feeling unlovable. And when you combine that with independent attitude and an earn your way kind of thing, you have somebody who has built very high walls around themselves. It's safe to say that my earthly father did not set me up for a very favorable picture of my heavenly father. I was sure my dad hated me for a long time. He was harsh and critical and flawed. He was just flawed. And after having kids of my own, I became painfully aware that I'm flawed too. I have two kids, Nick and Derek. That's what you get in my house when you say, hey, while you're together at Christmas, why don't you take a picture of yourselves and send it to me? Yeah. And my husband, Jeff. Oh, aren't they cute? <laughs> they know my flaws, and they love me in spite of my flaws, mostly. So with all of that, is it no wonder that my view of God was also flawed? I pictured God as this large, stern man who looked on me with his hairy eyeball and waiting to bring the hammer down on my pathetic attempts to be a human being. On the outside, I probably appeared normal, relatively speaking. And my life looked normal. But on the inside was this terrible internal struggle of the heart, the soul, the mind. I've always had a lot of internal dialogue that just won't shut up. And it had nothing but scathing, harsh, critical things to say to me. Kind of like my earthly father. Sabotaging every step sending me through these very dark, empty, anger, isolation, fear. I spent a lot of time being so torn up and with sorrow and despair over the death of Jesus on the cross. It, this horrible death. I couldn't bear that he did it for me. I couldn't understand it, and I was angry with him. I didn't ask him to die for me. I didn't want him to die for me. Why did he do that for me? There was this tremendous guilt over my unworthiness. And this went on for a long time, decades, to the point where I nearly stepped away from my faith. My sense of independence and the feelings of unworthiness were so much a part of who I thought I was. It was like this dark, heavy weight had settled on me and just permeated every part of me. I remember thinking that if someone had asked me to paint a self-portrait back then, I would have just painted the whole canvas black. Now, don't you just want to invite her to your next party? How do you get up out of that kind of tar pit? How do you do that? It sucks you in, it pulls you down. One word comes to my mind, and that's grace. Grace for me is Jesus standing out in front of me with his arms open wide, and he says, come to me. And when I do, he wraps his arms around me, and he doesn't mention anything about how much I've hurt him or disappointed him. 
And he doesn't say one word about my sin. He just holds me. That's my picture of grace. He got me out of that pit by his grace. But over the years, there were things that he led me to do on this journey. Things that he orchestrated to be there. And somehow I just kept saying yes. Things he would use to transform me, like prayer. There were two prayers that I prayed very specifically for a long time, probably since I became a Christian. I prayed that God would help me feel his love for me. It's easy to know in our head, but for me, I needed to really feel it and accept it, and that's a whole different story. The second prayer was that he would give me a desire to seek him. I prayed those two things regularly, and he answered them in big ways. I also had what I called a breathing prayer. This was an exercise that came from a message that Alice gave like 15 years ago or more. You breathe in, Lord have mercy on me, and breathe out, a sinner saved by grace. I would wake up in the morning and that's the first thing I would think. And I would breathe it in and out all day long. It calmed me. It's, I did it for many years and I still continue to do it. And this last thing about prayer comes out of Romans 8.26. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for. But the, Holy, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. There were so many times that I had no idea what to pray. I would just literally sob, weep, cry out to God, and just let the Holy Spirit do the praying for me. It didn't take much effort on my, on my part, but at times it's all I could muster but it's what I needed just to cry out to him. Prayer was one of the ways God began to transform my mind and scripture. Now, I'm not one of those people who's been disciplined enough to have a regular scripture reading time or meditation, and I'm not a morning person, so that was never successful for me. I find it hard to figure out what to read and how to go about studying. In fact, I can go months without even opening the Bible. So I... Don't think that I'm some kind of a spiritual genius or scriptural genius. I mean, you can think I'm any other kind of a genius if you want, but not that. One thing I would do is I would write a verse or two on a note card, and I'd put it by my bed or on the fridge or in my car and read it. And it would just, it would remind me, and it would lift me up in times when I didn't have anything else. I do better when someone's telling me what to read. So one of the most helpful things I found to do was read the Bible in a year. I have several Bibles that give me daily readings like that, and I did that for five years in a row. I didn't do it perfectly. Sometimes I'd have to play catch-up, and we'd read three or four weeks at a time in one sitting. I didn't always understand what I was reading. Sometimes I'd just skim the reading. Sometimes I'd skip over parts. Sometimes I'd just fall asleep but I just kept at it. And ultimately, it gave me a sense of the story of God. It, and it helped me see his overarching love for his people. And that was a priceless gift. Along with prayer, engaging scriptures where that renewing of the mind had started. It's how Jesus began to pull me up out of that pit. Number three, serving. I've always seemed to find a place to serve. Here at Orchard, I started in children's ministry teaching Sunday school. But I'm not really very good at it, and I always felt kind of uncomfortable. And truthfully, you really don't want me teaching your kids. 
But I kept searching for other ways to serve. And then I found my spot in, in the production booth. And that was great. And I also do, did staging. I did that by myself for 15 years or more. And then I thought one day maybe someone would come in and find me impaled on the drum set after I'd overreached from the ladder. It's not good for PR. So now we have a team. <laughs> and they're great. They're talented. I love them so much, and I'm so thankful. And they keep me off the ladder. I also contribute to VBS by helping with set stuff. I mean, I get to put together these cool sets and build cool stuff. And not only do they let me do it, they encourage me to do it. <laughs> it's great. And I've also been able to do stuff like that at Lampost Theater, which I've been a part of for the last 15 years as well. Now, you may think that serving is something to do because it's good for the church or because it's what Christians do. We think we do it for God. But the amazing thing is that God gives us opportunity to serve so he can lift us up through it. And that blows my mind. There were times during my journey that serving was my saving grace. I wanted to isolate myself when I was so down, but God gave me these tasks to do, serving out of the gifts that he gave me that brought me comfort and purpose in my darkness. So serving was another powerful way that God used to transform my mind. And lastly, community. And by that I mean intentionally spending time with other people. I'm an introvert by nature, so it makes it very easy for me to isolate myself. But during those dark days, I would have spent every waking hour just closed up in my house if I could have. I didn't like the idea of community, but God kept nudging me and calling me. He would put, me, put all these classes out there for me and I would go even when I didn't want to. I didn't look forward to sitting around another round table having small group discussion. But God had other ideas for me. He wanted me there. He had things to teach me, and I had things to learn. And I still do. Another key part of community that I believe God orchestrated was that he simply kept people around me. My family, from my husband to my kids, my sisters and brothers and in-laws, they were just always around, and I got a good family. And close, close friends, people who wouldn't leave me alone. They would not let me isolate myself. They just kept coming at me, even when I didn't want them around. He gave me communities of people, like Orchard Hill Church and Lampost Theater, and they became people who were like family to me. He kept people like that around me. He gave me fellowship, that gave me fellowship, <laughs> serious spiritual guidance, mentoring, accountability, people who kept challenging me to keep searching even when I didn't want to. I didn't realize that these things, prayer, scripture, serving, community, these things were saving my life. This was Jesus' way of pulling me out of that pit of despair. I didn't recognize what was happening during the journey. It wasn't until I started looking back in the recent months doing this. Through these things, God has been slowly chipping away at the wall that I had built so long ago, patiently breaking it down, renewing my mind, transforming me. During those dark days, I'd wonder why I wasn't further along in my faith. 
I used to curse my life. Why was I here? Why was I so broken? Why couldn't I feel God's love for me? Why the doubts? It constantly felt like there was something standing in the way of my real, real relationship with God, with Jesus. I would feel literally like I was standing at this edge of a dark, foreboding abyss, trying to get to the other side. I was here, and I needed to be there. I would often feel like I was on the verge of some big breakthrough that would get me there, but then it would just disappear. But in spite of my doubts and fears and frustration, he kept me coming back to that edge. Until one day this last year, I found myself on the other side. I was there, no longer staring off into that abyss. I remember one night driving home from one of the many classes I'd been attending, and I was invigorated. I was full of the spirit. I was, I was full of thoughts of God's love, and I realized that I actually felt his love. And then several weeks later, I was talking with a friend of mine, and, and she said, you know, you seem different. What's different? And as I began to, ex to explain what I, what I was feeling, I realized that I was still feeling that overwhelming love and it was clear and it was strong and unflinching it was like blinders had been taken off of my eyes this was new this was incredible this was an answer to my prayer in fact not only was I feeling love but I was feeling joy and that astounded me so much that I began to just pay attention to my life and I found that there was more the floodgates of blessings had just opened up and all these new things were coming at me. It's like love was the key that opened that door. Like peace. I was at peace. I can be at peace anytime. Even when things seem to be falling apart in my life. Normally when bad stuff happens, I would be beating myself up, finding ways to blame myself, you know, being consumed with worry and discontent. But since this has happened, since I've accepted God's love for me, I have found peace and contentment and joy and freedom. Never in my life have I ever experienced freedom. You know, the freedom that the Apostle Paul talks about in the book of Galatians, it is for freedom that you have been set free. You, my brothers and sisters, have been called to be free. I didn't even know what those words meant. And now I'm actually here in freedom. I can't even fully describe it. It's the feeling of having that dark, heavy weight just gone from me. I don't feel that anymore. I see things more clearly. It's like a fog is just lifted from me. It's not a fleeting thing either. It's daily. I mean, I may start my day in a bad mood or have it crash and burn somewhere along the way, but all I have to do to access that joy and peace and freedom is to simply remember God's love for me. And it just comes. It changes me every time. In fact, this whole process has, has changed everything about me. All because I feel and believe and accept God's love for me. We talk about love as an action. But he knew I needed to feel it. He knew I, need to get, I needed to get to a place where I could accept it. And he did that for me. 
I don't know when and I don't know how exactly, but it just is. It's the miracle of God's transforming love. It's the gospel. This is the living gospel. This is what happens with Christ. We come to him because of the promises of what he offers. And once the Holy Spirit gets a hold of us, we are renewed, we are transformed. And then God's love flows out of that. It's no longer what do I have to do, it's what, what, what does he want me to do? What can I do for him? Because he's lifted the weight of darkness and fear off of me, and he was intentional and patient and kind and lovingly chipping away at that wall that I had built so long ago. And it only took 35 years. So some of you are sitting out there and you're feeling that same way. Well, be patient. The renewing of a mind is a delicate thing and it takes a long time. He could have done it in a snap, but he chose, <clears throat> he chose to teach me valuable things so that when I got here, I was ready. And he has made me a completely new person. I don't curse my life anymore. I don't think I should be further along in my faith. I don't even worry about that anymore because I'm grateful for this journey. It's the journey I had to take to get to here. Of course it doesn't mean that I'm no longer flawed or sinful or that life in this world doesn't still drag me down. But now I have access to this amazing sanctuary. Kind of like heaven, heaven on earth. I already have it. I have eternity. I have the streets of gold already. Most of us are familiar with the parable of the prodigal son. Well, in that story, the father, who is representative of our father, says to the son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. It doesn't say everything I have is yours when you get to heaven, or when you have eternity, or when you're no longer sinful. It just says, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. It's mine now. I live for Christ now. He loves me now. So what's the question now? What can I do for him? What can I do to bring glory to him? How will he use me now? Well, I don't know, but I guess we'll see. But I know that it'll be a story of grace and peace and freedom and hope and mostly love. Thank you. I hope you guys know how much courage it takes for a person to stand up here and vulnerably share their story with you. Um, it takes a lot of courage, so good job. Here's a thing I heard from Patty's story. She grew up with a mindset that said, you gotta earn your way in life and you gotta earn your way to heaven. The problem with that mindset is it leads to profound feelings of unworthiness and self-hatred because you can't earn your way to heaven. You just simply can't. And it took 35 years <laughs> for God to chip away at that worldview and get Patty to understand like he wants all of us to understand. You just simply have to accept my love for you. And for some of us, that's the most profound hurdle we will face in life 
to give up our own efforts and to simply receive the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. So I pray that Patty's story encouraged you. I'm gonna pray for her and for all of us before we sing a little bit more. God, thank you for Patty's courage. Thank you for her willingness and her determination to stay with this journey, to stay with you until you broke down these walls, built up in her childhood and her young adult life that kept her, not from heaven, but from receiving your love now, from moving into the kind of life you want for her now so that she can live free, full of joy and peace, filled up with not a sense of self-worth, but the worth that comes from knowing she is a deeply loved child of her father. I pray now for anyone in this room who heard this message and resonates with that part and thinks, I don't know, I don't understand, I have not yet accepted that God just simply loves me because he is love. And I pray that anyone who's struggling with that would simply practice letting go of all their efforts to earn your love and practice receiving the kind of love you offer all of us through Christ. I pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen.